so instead, I, you know, I was just like, I need to work with Sternberg. Like, I need to be his, like, you know, disciple. So I made a plan to do that. And, uh, and with all the essence of my being, everything I did from that day forward in college, and I mean that day forward, you can ask my roommate, uh, was a meticulous plan to get into Yale to study with Robert Sternberg. Welcome back to Cognitive Revolution. I'm Cody Commerce, and this is my show about the personal side of the intellectual journey. Ooh, so uh, this week's guest is a special one. When I decided to start this podcast, I actually emailed him asking for advice. And uh, I look up to him a lot as a psychologist, as a public presenter, and as a human being. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to seek out some basic info from him since he also has an interview-based podcast, which he's been doing for a while now. And uh, not only did he give me his take on my questions, but he offered to be a guest on the show. Uh, And that's with literally no incentive on his part to do so. He didn't know me, and I mean... Good Lord, if some guy emailed you saying that he was going to start a podcast, what probability would you actually assign to him even going through with it? So anyway, the point is that he made an offer uh, out, of, out, of, out of a sense of generosity and just for the sake of helping me out. And that is incredibly consistent with the rest of his behavior. He is a psychology professor at Columbia. His podcast is The Psychology Podcast, The Psychology Podcast, and it really is. Uh, he's revamped the show, and it's in a new season. Absolutely take a listen. I loved his interview with Angela Duckworth, uh, which he recently re-aired. Uh, he is my favorite person on Twitter, so give him a follow. He is Scott Barry Goffman. So Scott, I, uh, I'll have a full intro for you uh, when, we, when we get this episode airing, but I, I want to start off by noting what I, what I admire about you. And uh, it's not just that you're an influential researcher with contributions in several separate areas and obviously a talented author uh, with both books and articles, uh, as well as probably the most constructive and engaging tweeter uh, that I've ever come across. Uh, But to be honest, what I really admire uh, and be able to hope to emulate my own career is it's incredibly clear that uh, you're a, a kind and compassionate person who uses their curiosity to probe the world in a way that uh, it just leaves it better off than they found it. And I think uh, we could all strive to be a little bit more like that. So thanks for coming on today. Thanks. It depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, why don't, you gi- why don't you give us a picture of what your average day looks like so we, we can have a sense oh. of uh, you know, what you're up to now in order to be able to compare that to sort of where you come from. Oh, well, I don't really have an average day at all. I am uh, very independent I teach once I only teach once a week this semester at uh, Barnard College Columbia and then I teach a seminar on creativity at Columbia but uh, the rest of my week is whatever I want to do during the day and it usually comprises of either podcast recording or uh, column I read a column for Scientific American or uh, reading. I have to read a lot of books for my podcast. I'm constantly having guests on, and I'm having to read their 400-page books within a within like a week time. So I'm constantly reading and thinking of questions that are thoughtful for the for the uh, the the, the um, guests that I have on the show. Um, uh, or I'm doing research. Or um, 
if I get any time at all, I like to date. <laughs> that's lovely. So but that's not as much time. You're, you're like, let's gloss over that part. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we could spend the whole episode probing into that. If that's you're, you're like, that's good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> so, um, do you have certain times of day uh, that work better for you to do those different kinds of activities, whether it's reading or writing or uh, you know uh, working on scientific research or with students, that sort of thing? You said a uh, certain time of day. Yeah, a certain time of day that works better for different things. Um, well, you know, like waking up in the morning and trying to get a run in. Um, after my run, like I really feel like I'm at my peak in the morning. And, you know, those testosterone levels are falling quickly, you know, after like 3 p.m. for someone of my age. So I try to get as much of the to-do things, you know, on my to-do list. Uh, although I don't really have, I don't really uh, like to work with to-do lists too much, but things that inspire that I feel more of like what I feel inspired to get done um, as in the first half. And then I feel like I spend like half my day responding to emails lately. And that's another thing that I'm trying to like overcome. And I'm like trying to set up like uh, boundaries about that because I think uh, one can, be, you know, being compassionate is a good thing, but I think one can, can get taken advantage of. Do you have any uh, one thing that you've implemented with email that's kind of made it uh, more manageable and, and less emotionally stressful? I did a, like I, I made like forty changes yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so I now have my signature says that I only check my emails, or I typically check my emails Monday through Friday, nine to five. If you send me an email outside that window, I'll check uh, your email the next time I'm available to set those expectations. Because I don't want to be checking my email on weekends. I really don't. Um, uh, and you know, like, like checking emails shouldn't be a full-time job, you know, uh, like I do, like I do things. <laughs> um, and also, yeah, I have an autoresponder. So like my info account now, um, will make it very clear that like, I just am not, I just don't have the bandwidth to re read all requests. And I mean, I get like 50, 60 requests a day of people wanting something from me. And it, 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 it I think it, at a certain point, it, it gets really um, uh, so, like soul sapping because you, you want to put out all this creative love into the world that you, you do in your work, but you don't want to be spending all your time not doing that. <laughs> Absolutely. So this, this kind of reminds me of something that you recently tweeted, probably thinking about something similar to this, which is that, uh, quote, my life changed the moment I realized that I'm not actually responsible for everyone else's decisions but I'm responsible for how I react to any situation, uh, which is, you know, in the same vein of, of that sort of emotional burden. Do you remember uh, looking back on that, what kind of inspired that moment of insight? Oh my God. I mean, how personal do you want to get? Uh, however personal you're willing to, uh, to be. Well, first of all, I thought you were going to read my other tweet. Uh, which I, 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 they said, I really need a t-shirt that says not available for, not available for brain picking today. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought that's the one you were going to read. That's also uh, an, uh, an instant classic as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that epic, epic, right. As they say in England, um, aren't you like in England? I am. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm in Oxford right now. I'm sitting in a dark little room, uh, in the psychology department there. Are you, uh, in the graduate program there? Yeah, I just uh, started my my DFO, uh, the PhD here, and I'm in my first year. Congrats! Who's your uh, Who's your advisor? 
Thank you. Uh, my two advisors, one, uh, his name is Matthew Apps, the other is Jeff Bird, uh, and they're both fantastic. Well, that's so cool. I, um, I did my graduate at uh, Cambridge, which is obviously the more superior school uh, <laughs> <laughs> to Oxford. But, yeah, uh, I think that Oxford's funny that you bad. say that because it, it just doesn't seem like that's the truth of the matter. But I'll, I'm happy to uh, let you continue thinking that if you want. <laughs> Thanks. Um, um, I do want to ask no, you Oxford, about, about the, um, your, your experience there because I'm interested in people's experience abroad and uh, how much you think that has influenced you personally. But I do want to probe this this personal moment that we were about to get into before moving on to that. Okay, sure. Yeah, so uh, uh, go for it. Well, I um, I don't know how comfortable I am getting that personal, to be honest. Perfect. Uh, you want to move on to the... It has to do with like like me feeling responsible for... Um, for my parents uh sadness or with their own lives sort of thing and um me realizing that there's just you can care about people without feeling the responsibility to uh for all their ups and downs which are not your responsibility yeah yeah you know Does that makes sense that makes a lot of sense it's something that i've been thinking about personally as well is that what is our responsibility when we see someone suffering um and i think it's important to distinguish between a responsibility to completely mitigate that suffering and alleviate it totally um, versus the act of, of reaching out a, a compassionate uh, hand and uh, making an act of, of, of good faith and goodwill towards that yeah. uh, without accepting full responsibility of having to solve that particular problem, which is, of course, uh, if not intractable, pretty close to that. Yeah, that's that was very well said. I mean... Yeah. You can't you can't be responsible for people's decisions. You can't get angry, but like, well, if only they did these things, they would be. I know they'd be happy, and then get angry at them for not doing those things. I mean, people, you know, you need to like respect people's existence that and decisions, and 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 also, you know, they're responsible for their own lives as well. So you can't take the burden over everyone. I think I've spent a lot of years of my life kind of just like feeling a burden for everyone's suffering, and. Um, and, and and that will lead to burnout quickly. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a, a balance to strike there for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's let's. Uh, I'm I'm interested to know. Uh, so you spent some time abroad for your masters in Cambridge. Well, how do you think that impacted your um, scientific or emotional or personal development? And uh, you know, do you think that experience in a different different place uh, was important in your in your development? Oh, it was very important, very important. It was a really one of the best years of my life, very formative years of my career. Um, I studied with a wonderful uh, psychometrician and animal learning theorist, Nicholas McIntosh, who just taught me so much about experimental psychology. And um, and it, it, I was there on a Gates Cambridge scholarship, and I felt like particularly like ego <laughs> when I was there over that it's funny when you become an adult none of that stuff matters <laughs> like it's not like anyone gives a shit that I was a Gates Cambridge scholar you know like now yeah. as I'm an adult and I'm, it's like no wait are you publishing good research <laughs> like are you like you know are you doing high quality work like it's so funny how like when you're like 24 25 you get so hung up on like you know the awards and like the the prestige of things like I'm at Harvard you know or whatever and then it's like when you're an adult no one cares that you went to Harvard they, they're 
are like, what are you doing <laughs> with your life? <laughs> you know? So, but I remember when I was a Gates Cambridge scholar and just like, it just, I felt so like good about myself. I felt like I was like, I, it's really, and especially coming from where I came from, like of where I wasn't even like supposed to be college bound when I was a kid, I feel like it was particularly like, um, like a, a big deal for me personally. Um, and, and p yeah, just people like treated me like, um, with a lot of, uh, respect is and, and and not just that but like the british people treated me as though i was actually cool <laughs> because i was american and uh that that was interesting like you know in america you get all these sorts of stereotypes like that are specific stereotypes like your nation like your religion or your like the way you look whatever i was just american in england and that was a lot of fun to just like play that stereotype up did you uh like read the Tara Westover, Westover uh, educated memoir and be like, whoa, that's me. Ended up in Cambridge when you feel like you shouldn't, uh, shouldn't have been there. No, no, you have to give me, send me a link. Oh yeah, that was, that was the thing. Um, oh cool. In, anyway, um, yeah, so wh what was it about that um, e experience of, of something different uh, that, you, that you think most stuck with, with you? Well, oh, there's a million things, a million things that stuck with me that, that, that year. Uh, well, I, I kept going back and forth between Cambridge and my graduate school. Um, I mean, my, my mentor, Nick McIntosh, I, I, he's recently departed, but I just will always remember how, how, how much he inspired me and just like watching his lectures on intelligence and just loving the way he presented the material in such a nuanced fashion and wasn't afraid of the truth either uh but 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 was also sensible about it he also wasn't you know you can be not afraid of the truth and also not be a provocateur like i feel like these days like those things like you know like are correlated points six zero <laughs> like like you see like people who are like yeah i'm a truth teller they also tend to be provocateurs but you know that they don't have to go together you can you can really be interested in the truth and also be be sensitive to uh the implications of what you're saying and its impact on others so i i'm interested in your claim that you feel like you shouldn't or you didn't uh you know, you didn't come from a background that would necessarily be thought of as college bound. Uh, can I ask what, what about your background uh, makes you say that? Well, for one, I was in special education as a kid and um, had an auditory learning disability and anxiety issues. Uh, I guess that was for two. Um, and, oh boy, I mean, I... I didn't, you know, come from a family with parents who were like, you know, went to Yale or, you know, like any of this high and stuff. And just as a kid, I just never just, it didn't dawn on the teachers, certainly, or me, that I would really go very far in life. So would you say, um, in that sense that, do you, do you feel like your path was sort of non-standard because you had different things to overcome than, than other people did? Oh, absolutely. I, I really resonated with, when I went to Yale for PhD, I really resonated with all the students. There, there weren't a lot, but, but the ones who came from some sort of disadvantage in youth, I didn't really, 
gravitate towards uh, or make feel great resonance with those who kind of had the silver spoon their entire lives. And I was like, they're like, of course I'm going to go to Yale someday. So yeah, it was, that's definitely, I mean, I, most of my, so a lot of my friends were like the kitchen staff, you know, like, like I, I just like felt like more comfortable with them and they were just actually quite frankly, they were more friendly <laughs> than the Yale graduate students. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you absolutely are, especially about Yale graduate students. Um, so <laughs> was, um, right. So was there a moment where you felt like you kind of transitioned from being the underdog into really gaining traction? And you're like, there was a moment where you're like, well, I can actually do this. Like I can, I can pull this off on a, on the really high level that you've, you've gone on to, to pull things off at. Well, yes, there was, there's a couple of these micro moments. One was in high school once I decided to try to challenge myself and um, uh, take myself out of special ed and, and see what I was capable of. And then I realized I loved, loved learning so much. Um, and so that was one, one, one point when I, when I actually just decided to like override the expectations of the teachers. But the other thing was like in, in college, sophomore year, I took a, a psychology class uh, it was called cognitive. The, the the class was called cognitive. I, mean, I think intro to cognitive psychology, and the textbook was cognitive psychology by Robert Sternberg. One of the editions. He, he's up to edition fifty thousand right now in that book, but I think it might have been edition twelve thousand at the time. And um and and I just uh you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying with Robert Sternberg. He's he's a machine. Uh, but uh when I looked at the cover, well, I got to the chapter on intelligence. And I just like immediately was like, oh no, this is me. Like, uh, like I didn't even know there was a whole field studying that topic, but I was just like, you know, like, holy shit. Like, that's like, am I allowed to curse on the uh, Cognitive Revolution podcast? Absolutely. Okay. It's highly encouraged. Okay. I was just like, holy shit. Like, this is me. This is like, and, and it was just like, I saw a whole vision before me of like a whole career. Like, I don't know. It was, it's weird. It's, uh, some people call it a crystallizing experience. Uh, Howard Gardner calls it a crystallizing experience. You just kind of like see something and you make contact with a domain and you're just like, you know, it fits, it gels so well with the essence of your being that you just like, it's just not even a choice. Sometimes that happens if you're very lucky that happens with a partner as well, like a romantic partner. Um, but um, I mean, it's probably just as rare to find that with a romantic partner as with a career, but when it does happen, hold on to it for dear life. Wow. That's, that's so amazing. So how did you, when, what, when did you connect that to this notion that what people had figured out up to the point of you reading that textbook, you realized, well, something's missing here. We need a, we need an opportunity to, to, to redefine some of the ways we're thinking about intelligence. When did you make that connection? Well, me, I don't know. Immediately. Um, yeah. I read was that, that what you saw in it was, was essentially yes. the, the white space where yes. something that needed to be said was not being said. And you felt like you had the well, aptitude. Uh, <laughs> First of all, when I was in high school, I had been dreaming about how we need uh, to redefine intelligence. Now I didn't know there was a whole field or there, I didn't even know there were people called Howard Gardner or there were people called Robert Sternberg. <laughs> like I didn't know any of that. Um, so I think my initial reaction, to be quite frank, was, shit, they've already redefined intelligence. What am I going <laughs> to do with my life now? Yeah. And um, uh, I remember just like, 
almost was like, oh, wait, they did it. You um, could have been Howard Gardner if not for Howard Gardner. Well, yeah, I think, well, I've had thought at the time, like, if Howard Gardner never published that book, I'm pretty sure I would have published that book. Like, um, you know, like, that, like, it was in my head, you know, it was like the seed was in my head. That's amazing. And, and, and well, you know, uh, Dean Simonton calls that the phenomenon of multiples. It, it actually is... Um, it's a, it's more common than you think. Um, it, it, you know, we, we tend to treat genius as like, wow, only that genius could have thought of that. You know what I'm saying? But actually it turns out anyone with a certain number, a certain uh, area, a number of expertise, um, you know, or personality, um, there's something, if there's something in the air, it's, it's going to be plucked. If it wasn't Einstein, I'm pretty sure it would have been plucked by someone else. Um, so no, 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 no offense to Einstein or Howard Gardner. I mean, they, in, <laughs> in fact, you know, it's a huge, huge, um, admiration, huge admiration for, for, for both Gardner and Sternberg. But, but you had, but I was almost shocked. Like when I, that I, when I, when I read that chapter that like, you know, Gar Sternberg was talking about his new theory of successful intelligence. I thought it was so brilliant. I, I did think like, Sternberg nailed it and then therefore I don't know what to do with my life like like um, he like but so instead I you know I was just like I need to work with Sternberg like I need to be his like you know disciple so I made a plan to do that and uh, and uh, with all the essence of my being everything I did from that day forward in college and I mean that day forward you can ask my roommate uh, was a meticulous plan to get into Yale to study with Robert Sternberg do you remember what that plan looked like? Everything, every every second of my life from that day forward, and I mean, and I'm not joking. I'm saying like, you know, like from the time I spent when I wasn't in class, I was reading about intelligence. I had an independent study with that teacher, uh, Anne Fay, who taught cognitive psychology, and we we read all about intelligence. I took a course with Herbert Simon. I became Herbert Simon's last research assistant. Oh, studying, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I was his last research assistant before he wow. passed away, and um, studied. Uh, expertise. I um, studied developmental development of intelligence with Bob Siegler in his lab. Um, I spent a summer as an intern with Robert Sternberg. I, I, uh, he, he accepted me to just spend a summer as his uh, water boy. Um, and um, uh, sometimes, you know, like, um, yeah, I just like would, would, would spend all my time in the, in, in, in the basement. He had all of his published articles, which he has published more than four million articles. And so I'd be in the basement just reading all his articles about intelligence. I would be in the library, in the intelligence section of the library. I read every single book on intelligence. I mean, I didn't have much of a dating life. <laughs> I really... That was it. I mean, every second was like, that's it. That's all I want to do in my life is redefine intelligence. I don't care about anything else. Wow. I'm not saying it's healthy. <laughs> so one thing that sort of stands out to me is, uh, it's, it's come up a couple of times, uh, but you have this incredible sense of, of agency. And uh, part of it is when you uh, extricated yourself from uh, the special education uh, sort of track and said, uh, oh, well, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me what anyone else thinks I should do. I am going to decide to do this other track. Um, My mom that's... calls me stubborn. <laughs> that seems hugely special. And then also to have this moment of inspiration and say, well, look, this is, you know, I don't care what's reasonable or, 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 or moderate uh, here, but I'm going to, 
come up with this game plan. I'm going to execute it from here until it works. Uh, and that seems like such a special quality that so few people have at that really deep level. Where do you think that sort of thing comes from? Oh, Andrew Duckworth think calls it grit, but um, I I don't know. It it's I I really do. Maybe some of it I get from my mom. Like the things that annoy me about my mom. Like if I'm being honest, like they're within myself too. <laughs> you know, like like just like a constant. Like my mom, like gets shit done. <laughs> like and and it used to it drive me crazy as a kid because she would constantly advocate on my behalf and get things done but it made me feel a lack of agency if that makes sense yeah, yeah. but as an adult now i realize i i have a lot of that chutzpah as well um so i owe a lot of that to her um and uh you know not just i owe it to the genes as well <laughs> you know like, when we thank our parents for things how often do we thank their genes when we really should be thanking their genes <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> In those moments of great, you know, sort of that, that where the whole project of your life just turns in a slightly different direction. Yeah. Does it, does it occur to you to think like, oh, well, other people are going to think this is, this is crazy or, or the wrong plan? Like, does that, in those moments, like getting out of uh, the special education track or, or planning for Yale, did that occur to you? Um, ask the question again. Yeah, do you do you worry about other people are going to think about your decision to do something that's pretty outlandish? Oh. Um no. I think that the thing that shouldn't that couldn't inspire you is because am I sensing that you kind of want to take a similar uh non traditional path as me? Yeah. Am I sensing that? I think I think that that's a pretty reasonable uh thing to say. So I think when you do that, you need to recognize that everything that you do in your own unique vision of how you want to live your life is paving a new path for others who may be just as quirky as you. And I think if you just remember that, then it really can, it, it, you just don't seem to care about what all the people on the traditional path think of you because you're not, you're not, your existence is not to please them. They already, they already, they're, they're happy or maybe they're not happy, but they've, they've, they've made their choices. Again, it, it comes back to the whole responsibility thing, right? Like, you know, let people make their choices, respect the sacredness of others. And if people don't respect the sacredness of you, then fuck them. That is the most beautiful thing that I have ever heard that ended in the exclamation, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, I really love that. <laughs> Uh, oh god i think that's dead on i absolutely love that you know like that's the best you can do is just go by your life yeah respecting the sacredness of others and i really do i mean i really like am the least judgmental person like maybe that's why i'm fun to hang out with sometimes because i people will tell me things that they've done you know and i'm just like i just like giggle and they're like wait but i just told you that i did this and i'm like you know what like life is a shit show like you you'll learn from this you'll learn from what you did um and you may you know people need to sometimes make poor decisions in order to grow 
And I don't think we emphasize that nearly enough in school. Like I'm, I'm so happy of, I've made so many poor decisions in my life, but I'm like so happy that I did that. And you know, I get this opportunity now to like reflect on all of that and think of what I don't want to do. Sometimes we don't, we only know what we want to do by what we finding out what we don't want to do, you know? Oh man. Amazing. So speaking of, uh, you know, sort of constructing your own path, when did you decide that it was important to reach a broader non-specialist sort of audience? And what did those initial opportunities look like? Um, I also felt like I always had the writer bone in my body. Um, that showed itself very, very early. Um, just by a couple of years of age, I was writing uh, creative novels, I guess. Like I was doing creative writing. Of about time travel and I was obsessed with time travel still kind of am um, and I always really uh, loved creative writing and and I think that when I was in, when I was in college I had did an interview with uh, sorry when I was in grad school I did an interview with Matthew Hudson from Psychology Today magazine he was writing an article and he still works there doesn't he no, there's two Matthew Hudson's. Oh. <laughs> one, one spelled a little bit. I was gonna say, like, I, I thought that guy was awfully young to have been there. Uh, no, that you guy know, looks like he's twelve. But he does, um, he does. <laughs> no, there's a Matt. There's like That's a Matthew so oh, wow. Hudson, and then there's a Matthew Hudson. Oh wait, <laughs> it's, it's very confusing. Um, okay, Matthew, sorry. Yeah. Matthew okay. Hudson, H-U-T-S-O-N, is no yeah, longer yeah. Psychology Today. Okay. I think there's a Hudson. I know it's, it never confuses the two people. No, this is so Hudson. He was there b back in the day, and um, and he interviewed me about the role of the link between sex and humor because that was a topic I was I was working on with Jeffrey Miller at the time, and um, just to see how far I've come, by the way. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, and and he had, he just emailed me a couple of weeks later after the interview. He's like, you know, that was a really awesome interview. You're like really like funny and. Like you, we're just we're just starting a blog. Do you want to be one of our first bloggers for the site? And I just like didn't even have to think about it. It was just like oh my god yes. And I just like you know, I just I I just immediately like just went crazy on that. And that became like the the most enjoyable part of grad school <laughs> was blogging for Psychology Today and talking about intel. It was all about intelligence in the beginning on the the latest science of intelligence, giftedness and and what that and, and and all the issues surrounding that and uh yeah and like now psychology Today blogs is like has blown up and there's it's like huge. there's like a, a stream of um uh, thousands of bloggers just like non-stop on there but in the beginning it was like me and satoshi kanazawa and that was it yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm laughing because do you know who he is because no, I didn't, no. oh gosh okay <laughs> I will not go further then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I think that's pretty pretty interesting, in that you uh, had sort of like this initial kind of opportunity. Oh, and by the way, let's you know you. Uh, I was coming up to the end of time here, so let's just make this the last sort of uh, question Great. here. Just I want to be respectful of your time. Thank but, you. But um, you know the that just sort of fell into your lap and started off this cascade of building opportunities uh, that you, you know, turned into this amazing platform that you've developed today. Are there any other moments that you look up and say like, wow, that's just a magical moment of randomness that just kind of sparked this thing that turned into something that I, 
no. had very little control over whether that actually oh. happened. Oh, those are two. Th there's two separate things: randomness and then no control. Wait, I think I would say no to the randomness and yes to the no control. All right. Well, I do. I do feel. Um, I do feel like I've been guided and by some higher power. I mean, I'm not going to get all Kanye West on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's much to the detriment of all of our listeners here. Because they're Kanye West fans? No, I'm sure, I'm sure all of us would be enlightened if you, if, you, if you went down that path. But I'm not sure that we have enough time to fully cover it. But, uh, you know, go, I, no, I'm interested in, in this distinction that you're drawing here and, and then how, how you feel that has played out for yourself. Well, I, it, I, I just have always I've felt like I'm playing out a script. That, uh, you know, e even when I try to deviate from the script, it comes back to me. Yeah, I, I know the feeling you're talking about for sure. Um, so, I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, it's just everything has, has just uh, constantly been like showing me the signs that I was meant, meant to do this. Um, people, I mean, I'm not saying crazy things. I mean, people have reported having a calling in life and people have reported, uh, the, the feeling of being called into the future. Um, I, I do consider myself quite spiritual of a person. Um, and I do, uh, I do, I do think that if we listen really, really, um, uh, really deeply to the center of our being and we cut our, we cut all the. We, we, you know, the fat around it, you know, all the neurotic fat. <laughs> I never used that phrase before, but I think it makes sense. Yeah. All the neurotic yeah. fat um, away from us. Um, you know, we, we'll, we can see these patterns in our lives that, that, that happen to us. And then, you know, I do think it takes a certain amount of agency to make it happen for sure. We, but it's a dialectical God, well, uh, Scott, you have an amazing mind, certainly a non-standard mind, which is, which is what partially what plays into the amazingness of it. And uh, thank you for everything that you do, and thanks for uh, coming on the uh, podcast today. Thanks, Cody. I just uh, wanted you to know I wish you all the best with your Cognitive Revolution podcast. I, I just tweeted out, uh, your, uh, uh, I said, good luck with your new podcast, Cody. Um, amazing. So uh, it's official. If I tweeted it out... Oh, you know, yep. you know it's true. You know, it's I love true. it. Oh, thank you so much, Scott. I, <laughs> but, I hope uh, but, we get the opportunity to do this again. Uh, <laughs> well, I hope you have a yes. good, good rest of your day. Okay. Well, yes, and also I just want to say if I can um, help you at all um, in your own journey to self-actualization, let me know. I really appreciate, and I know that you sincerely believe that, and I wish you the best in balancing your ability to help other people reach their self-actualization uh, with your own. Uh, mental well-being and uh, what you have to give. Thanks, so, Cody. Thank you for watching. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. That's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed. And if you did like the show, uh, the best way to keep up is by following me on Twitter or to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. And in this newsletter, I will send out the most interesting things that I've found that week as well as anything coming from my own desk, including episodes of Cognitive Revolution. And you can find that on my website. So thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you back here next week.